Welcome to episode 66 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Becky and Jessica. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Becky and Jessica, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of Alcoholics and Addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps a few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. If you put your loved one's needs ahead of your own, if you feel that others' happiness is your responsibility, if your response to, what do you want for dinner, is, well, what do you want, then you've come to the right place, because today we're going to talk about codependency. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of codependency. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your solo host today. I had a couple other people lined up, and things came up for them. They weren't able to make it. I decided to go ahead rather than trying to reschedule or maybe reschedule with different people. So here we go. I did want to open with a reading before we talk about uh, codependency, our topic today. And then uh, after that, we'll have a musical break. And then I'll talk about, uh, you know, what it's like living in recovery for me this week. And then uh, another break and follow that with uh, your uh, email contributions or voice contributions and a little bit of news about the podcast before we close with uh, some more music. So I do have a reading. This reading is from March 12th in Courage to Change. What does another person's mood, tone of voice, or state of inebriation have to do with my course of action? Nothing, unless I decide otherwise. For example, I have learned that arguing with someone who is intoxicated is like beating my head against a brick wall. Yet until recently, I would always dive right into the arguments because that was what the other person seemed to want. In Al-Anon, I discovered that I don't have to react just because I've been provoked, and I don't have to take harsh words to heart. I can remember they are coming from someone who may be in pain and try to show a little compassion. I certainly don't have to allow them to provoke me into doing anything I don't want to do. And I picked that reading because it uh, it expresses one of the uh, facets of codependency for me, which is that uh, I have to respond to what somebody else does. That you know, I, I just thought it was really, really sort of humorous that you know, I that uh, in in the reading the person dives into the argument because it seems like that's what the other person wants. And, you know, that is that is how I was. I mean, if you wanted something, then I was going to go along with it pretty much um, because I was basing my happiness and my judgment of what was the thing to do on what uh, the people around me, in particular my loved ones, seemed to want. And, uh, and I like that also seemed to want because, of course, I'm putting myself into your head and trying to think what... Uh, what I think you want, and then trying to do that. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> so I did look up codependency, and uh, Wikipedia starts out uh, its article on codependency with this. Codependency is defined as a psychological condition or a relationship in which a person is controlled or manipulated by another who is affected with a pathological condition, typically narcissism or drug addiction. 
and in broader terms, it refers to the dependence on the needs of or control of another. It also often involves placing a lower priority on one's own needs while being excessively preoccupied with the needs of others. <sighs> I can so, so relate to that definition. I mean, it's just the way I was. That's the way I was brought up to be. Um, and that's the way I lived a good part of my life. Uh, even before I came uh, into intimate contact, shall we say, with alcoholism, uh, I would often um, depend on the needs of another or I would depend on my my need to control another person. And I would place a lower priority on my own needs. If if I wanted to do something, but you wanted to do something different, I would more often go along with you than than do what I wanted to do. Unless you were being codependent with me, in which case um, we could go back and forth for a little while. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Where are you going? I don't know. Where are you going? I remember back in high school, uh, I had uh, I had one good friend, and, and we used to um, walk walk up and down the halls before school started. Uh, we were, I guess, in different homerooms. And so we would just, we would wander the halls. And, and I remember this conversation we had once. We're walking along and, and he says to me, where are you going? And I said, I don't know, where are you going? He said, I don't know, I'm following you. I said, well, I'm following you. And and that's the sort of cycle that, that uh, I can get into when I'm being codependent. And the person that I'm with is trying to be codependent at the same time. You know, it's kind of funny to look back on it, but... Uh, uh, and and in that case, there was no real harm. But um, in you know in life, it means that I often don't get what I want because I'm trying to satisfy your needs. And if you're being codependent with me at the same time, you don't get what you want necessarily because you're trying to follow my needs. And we both agree on some uh, compromise that neither of us really wants, but we think the other person does. Uh, I was in a a training class once for uh, I don't know sort of a management training and. Uh, they they showed this little film that was uh, I forget it was called something like Driving to Abilene or Trip to Abilene, and it's this family that uh, you know they're sitting around on a hot summer day, and nobody really has something they want to do. Basically, they just want to sit around, I think, but they feel like they should be doing something, and so they decide they're going to drive into Abilene to get ice cream in their car with no air conditioning on a on a day when the you know the temperature is a hundred degrees outside. And, uh, you know, I, I have found myself on a trip to Abilene uh, in, because, of, because of my codependency. So I was trying to think back, like, when did I first hear this term and what did I understand it to mean? And I really don't know when I first heard it. The first time that I remember sort of seeing anything or hearing anything really about codependency was um, in a, uh, a friends and family day at a treatment center. Uh, and I guess the topic that week was codependence, and they showed a little film, and I just didn't get it. Uh, what was happening in the film really didn't seem to have anything to do with what was going on in my life. Didn't have I, I did not connect with the, the person in the film. Um, I don't really remember what happened because I really didn't connect with it. And so I had this notion that codependence was something that maybe happened in a relationship with an alcoholic, but um, I, I will say that that particular session did nothing to help me understand it. And uh, so it was just sort of a thing. Uh, it's a word, and, and I, I didn't know what it meant, um, except that apparently it was something that I might might have, but didn't help me because at that point I was not in a program 
Uh, at that point, I was not intending to be in a program. I would uh, I went into the treatment center and they had the twelve steps, one of those uh, big, uh, you know, uh, window shade posters hanging on the wall. And I looked at that and said, I am never doing that. That is not for me. Um, and yeah, funny how that works, huh? The next time that I really remember hearing about it was, again, uh, a lecture at a treatment center. Uh, my loved one attended several different treatment centers, and so uh, I got to see several different uh, sort of perspectives on what friends and family ought to know, uh, ought to be told, whatever. And in this one, they brought out um, some an aspect of codependency in particular codependency with an addict or an alcoholic, where um, they talked about how the the loved one, the relative, the friend of the alcoholic or addict, the person who's really enmeshed codependent, can start to exhibit actual physical signs of disease uh, from this relationship. And, you know, that made some sense to me. Uh, I actually could see that. I, I wasn't sure if, if I was um, getting these things, but... Um, you know, they had, I don't know, some kind of scientific evidence or, or medical evidence for this. And and so I kind of saw, saw where the the disease of alcoholism in a loved one could um, cause symptoms in me that that had been given the label codependence. And, and it was sort of like I was addicted to the person and the person was addicted to their drug. And, and that made some sense. And I could actually sort of see how that was happening in my life. And, and sometimes I do speak about sort of my addiction to uh, my loved one, my addiction to the drama, my addiction to control. Um, you know, that was big before I came into Al-Anon. Uh, you know, I was doing everything I could to try to control my loved one's disease uh, with, uh, you know, as, as you might expect, not, um, not much luck at all, <laughs> at all. So, uh, so there was a definition of codependency that I could connect to. Um, and then I came into Al-Anon and, you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk a lot about, at least in the meetings that I go to, we don't talk a lot, a lot about codependency per se. And I actually looked in the Al-Anon literature and in, in the book, How Al-Anon Works, I looked in the Daily Reader, I looked in the index and I looked for the word codependence or codependency. And you know what? It's not there. Um, and, uh, I was like, well, hmm, how am I going to find a reading? <laughs> and what I thought of was that, you know, detachment, as we talk about it in the program, detachment with love, um, is an opposite to a counterpoint to, and to some extent, um, a way of getting out of codependency. And so, um, I went and looked at readings about detachment until I found one that sort of talked about the before rather than the after. And that's what I found there. So how did I come to understand codependency? How have I come to understand codependency as I've been in the program? It's, you know, it's a lot closer to that, that Wikipedia definition. And I'm able to see how codependency has been sort of pervasive in my life as, as I grew up. Um, my mother exhibits a lot of codependent behavior. She is, I've said this before here, she is a person who really can't be happy unless everybody else around her is at least satisfied or happy. And she will try to do whatever she can um, to fix that situation until we are happy so then she can relax and be happy herself. 
And uh, just one uh, one little uh, incident that happened. I was uh, was visiting my brother out in California, and my parents were out there at the same time. And this was a few years ago. And we were driving back from somewhere and talking about where did we want to have dinner. And I just I sort of spoke up and said, well, you know, I haven't had any Mexican food on this trip. And uh, generally Mexican food in Southern California is, uh, you know, a lot better than Mexican food in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so I like to have a chance to get some when I'm down there. And my mother starts into this this thing. And I realized immediately that I had, you know, set the, set the train in motion and she starts into this thing. Well, I don't, she doesn't, she doesn't like Mexican food really. Okay. So I really shouldn't have brought it up at all. Um, but I was trying to express my own desires, uh, with the expectation that in fact I wasn't going to get it. But, but she went into this thing about, well, I don't know anything about Mexican restaurants around here and, and I don't know where any are. And, and I don't know how to find out where they are and whether they're any good. And, and she just, she went on for like, you know, five minutes just on this. Well, we've got to find a Mexican restaurant because Spencer wants a Mexican restaurant and that's what we've got to do because that's what he wants. And meanwhile, I was sitting back there saying, no, no, that's fine. Um, you know, we don't really need to do a Mexican restaurant tonight. I was just sort of saying that I hadn't, hadn't been to one yet and I'll, I'll, I can find one another time. And, and, you know, I, I, and this is this is not this is not new behavior for her. Um, it's just that after some time in recovery, I immediately saw it for what it was um, that that she was doing her codependent thing, not saying, "Well, I would prefer not to have Mexican food because, of course, that's not the way she's supposed to be. She's supposed to satisfy our needs first. Codependent. The other. Another way in which you know my codependency shows up, obviously, is uh, in my need to, my desire to control the other people around me, um, and and it's really, I mean, it's sort of a two faced devil. This codependency because uh, it can show up as as me putting myself subordinate to the needs of others, but it can also show up as me wanting to control others so that they will be the people that I want them to be. Um, you know, and and in the case of of my loved one, uh, you know, for her to not drink alcoholically um, didn't work. You know, <laughs> did not work so well. Um, desire to please, codependents have a desire to please. Um, you know, I often say uh, when when my loved one was in treatment, uh, every time she went into a treatment center, I would go to the friends and family day because. As a, as I put it, as a good little codependent, uh, I would do what I was asked to do. Um, but I also thinking about it, um, you know, I thought this is what I need to do to to help her get sober. Uh, not really understanding that this is what I needed to do to help me um, get out of the the pit that I had dug for myself in in trying to control her addiction. So. So my understanding of codependency has changed a lot, um, and sometimes I use it kind of loosely uh, in the in the sense of oh here's some you know codependent people pleasing behavior, um, and and sometimes it sneaks up on me. Um, I don't really have have an example right now. I wish I had a co-host here because then I could stop talking and my co-host could talk and I could think of of uh, you know incidents recently where where my codependency has has really kicked in. Um, but I do have uh, a story of a friend uh, recently, two friends, 
uh, one friend needed some help with something. Uh, we'll call that friend Bill. And he thought that the the other friend, who I'll call Debbie, could uh, could help with that. But uh, Bill is, you know, not comfortable asking for help. I think is is it's true of a lot of us in this program. I still work a lot on asking for help. Uh, you know, I have to ask for help every week for the podcast, and it's not a comfortable place for me. It's still not a comfortable place for me. But anyway, so so Bill uh, talked to sat down with Debbie and, and started to explain the situation that he needed help in. And as he laid it out, it became clear that, yeah, indeed, uh, he did need help. And, and Debbie said, Oh, uh, you know, was, was sympathetic and, and, but Bill didn't ask for help and Debbie didn't offer help. And finally Debbie said, you know, I'm, I'm working really hard not to be, not to give in to my codependent need to help you. Um, I'm waiting for you to ask for help. And I got them backwards, didn't I? Debbie said that to Bill, and uh, and Bill was like, "Oh, uh, can you help me with this?" And Debbie said, "Of course." Uh, and, and you know, and and Bill realized that he was putting out, you know, his his sort of codependent way of asking for help was to state the need and then wait for the other person to recognize that there was a need and offer to help without him having to ask and. And I can so relate to that in many ways, um, you know. I, but it 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 that pretty much is not working for me in getting guest hosts for the podcast. I have to I have to say, hey, you know, I'm doing a podcast this weekend. We got a topic of codependency. Uh, would you like to come be uh, a guest host? And usually the answer is yes or no. It's very straightforward, uh, and and more often than not. Uh, the answer is, I'd love to, but, you know, I'm doing such and such. I'd love to, but uh, I have to catch up from work. Uh, I'd love to, but I have something else going on. And and occasionally it's, um, no, that's that's not really something that, that I would like to do. And that's okay. But my, and this is not really about codependency, but my um, my assumption based on what I'm not sure, but my assumption is that if I ask somebody for a favor, if I ask somebody to do something, the answer is going to be no. And I don't want to hear the no answer, so it's hard for me to ask. And of course, I'm thinking, oh, they don't really want to do it. They're just saying yes to be nice. They're just saying yes because they they think they should. And, and that's my codependency kicking in. That's my... Um, my assumption of the feelings of others that that if i ask then it's an imposition on you and you're going to say yes because you want to be nice but you don't really want to and so then you're going to resent me wow and and that that's that can spiral down really quickly um so it's it's a work in progress um I, I have said many times you know my higher power is really uh, helping me work on this asking for help thing by making me do it every week, <laughs> several times, usually every week. And that's okay. It's a good thing. So here's a, here's another example of, of, of my codependency that uh, used, to, used to really kick in. Um, so I'm sitting in a theater, and somebody off to the side is, I don't know, coughing. And, you know, I know that people can't help coughing, but it, it distracts me. And I'm 
actually able to sort of ignore the coughing and, and focus on whatever's happening, uh, the play that's happening up front or the music that's happening. But this this codependent part of my brain, this this part of my brain that wants to take care of the whole world, can kick in and say, oh, but lots of other people are bothered by that coughing, and this person really should stop coughing or leave or or whatever. And so I'm upset, not on my own behalf, but I'm upset on behalf of people that, that I don't know and that I'm just assuming they're bothered. But it, it, it's, it's really insidious. It can really dig in. And so this is something that, that I have in the past consciously practiced, that when this sort of thing happens, when this sort of thinking comes into my head that, well, I'm okay, but other people are being bothered, um, then I have to consciously set it aside. I have to consciously say to myself, you don't know that. And in any case, you can't do anything about it. It's not yours to control. It's not yours to to worry about. You know, I didn't cause the coughing. Why am I worried that people are upset by it? There's nothing I can do about it. And and let go. Let go. Um, which brings us to um, tools for, for um, sort of dealing with recovering from my codependent behavior so that, so that I don't. And the first part of that, of course, is recognizing it. And, and that can be tricky because certainly when I first came in here, I didn't realize, I didn't understand that there was anything wrong with that. I didn't, I did not understand the damage that that behavior was doing um, to my serenity, uh, to my happiness. And so I have to recognize it. And, and you know, I think the way I recognize that is probably by listening to other people talk about when they have this behavior and then saying, oh, I do that. How many times have, have I been in a meeting? How many times have you been in a meeting? And, and somebody starts talking and you say, oh, I do that. Oh, I do that too. Oh, and then maybe hopefully... Uh, the person who's sharing then talks about how they, you know, what they did when they recognized that behavior, uh, what they did when they uh, when they had those feelings. Uh, maybe they said, uh, let go. Maybe they said, live and let live. You know, those slogans can help. But for me, you know, the first step is recognizing the behavior. How do, what, what are my codependent behaviors? My codependent behaviors are people-pleasing. My codependent behavior is... Um, setting aside my own desires uh, in favor of somebody else's, or in, uh, even worse, setting aside my own desires in f- in favor of what I think somebody else's desires are, but I haven't actually asked them. I'm I'm just pretty sure I know what they want, and 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 it's not what I want. Um, it is um, trying to control somebody else's behavior to make myself feel better. Uh, and particularly that's true of, 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 of loved ones. Um, I'm sure there are others, but, but recognizing those behaviors is, is the, first, the first part for me. And then the second part is, is using some tools of the program uh, to help me to, to, to do something different. Um, and I already talked about uh, detachment as, as an opposite uh, as as a tool uh, for reducing my codependency, that when I am able to 
detach myself with love from another person so that so that I love that person, but I'm not enmeshed in them. I'm not um, feeling like their actions um, reflect on me, that their actions, that I'm responsible for their actions, that I'm responsible for their feelings. Um, when I can get that detachment, then if I don't feel responsible for your feelings, then I don't feel the need to control you to make your feelings um, be what I, what I think they ought to be. Um, I'm able to let you feel your feelings, you know, and, and so there are certain, certain people that if I sit down with them and they say, how are things going? And I talk about, well, I'm having this problem and it's really bothering me. And they immediately start into trying to fix it. Well, you could do this and you could do that. And, and this other person is just, they're way out of line and, and you really ought to tell them that. And you, you know, you really not ought, ought to put up with whatever that is. And, and if that doesn't work, you could try this other thing. And I used to do that myself all the time. Uh, and sometimes my wife would say, you know, I don't want you to fix my problem. I just want you to listen. I just want you to hear. I just want you to, to be sympathetic. I didn't know how to do that. Um, and now that, you know, and, and, and so, so I have these friends who, who, you know, want to jump in and fix things because yeah. And that bugs me a lot now because that's what I used to do. And that's what I'm really trying hard not to do these days. Um, and then there's the person that when you sit down with them and you say, you know, I've got this problem, this thing's going on. I hate it. And they say, Oh, wow. You know, I hear you. Um, I really feel for you. Um, and maybe, maybe they might say, and you know, I had something like that happen in my life and I just had to get through it. You know, there wasn't anything I could do to fix it. I was, I was talking uh, with a friend recently about um, a relationship problem, a friend that, that, um, you know, we were having difficulties and how we got along with each other. And I started out uh, saying, well, you know, I got this problem. And this friend said, oh, um, and something sympathetic, and I and I I went into a little more detail, and they said, "Oh yeah, okay, um, yeah, I was I was there uh, a few years ago, and you know there really wasn't anything I could do to fix it, uh, and but you know things are fine now, and maybe that's all I need to hear, you know, maybe maybe and a lot of the time all I need is somebody who has an ear who will say, I hear you." I'm sorry this is happening to you. Um, you know, I, I feel I feel your pain, and you know, let's just sit here for a little while. So I'm trying to learn to do that. I'm trying to be learn to be that person that can listen, can sympathize, empathize, uh, without having to fix things. Uh, because trying to dive in and fix is is part of my codependency. I'm uncomfortable that you're in pain and I need to fix it because that will fix my discomfort. Okay. It's not about you. It's about me and it's not generally healthy behavior and it's not generally helping behavior. If I'm trying to fix you so I can feel better, that's not healthy behavior. It does not lead to a healthy relationship. Okay. Well, I'm looking at the chat room and I see that, uh, Mark from recovered podcast has, uh, has been pretty busy in the, uh, in the chat room, um, nobody else is talking back, but hey, Mark. And uh, 
When I was talking about awareness, he says awareness is a major first step to a new concept, and awareness alone often alleviates many symptoms of codependency. You may benefit from a short video about the four A's of recovery, abstinence, awareness, acceptance, and action. Um, And uh, I don't know, is there a link to this video? I don't see it in the the chat here. Uh, We'll look for that later. What other tools do I use to uh, to help deal with my my codependency? Um, one of them, and I don't know, you know, this is not exactly a slogan, but it's keep my mouth shut. Um, when uh, when when I want to respond to something somebody does codependently, um, if I just keep my mouth shut, that can <laughs> that can be the first step. Maybe I don't have to do anything. Uh, I just uh, just sit there and and don't react, don't respond. Um, when I get I get triggered by my mother's codependent behavior. That is, that is often um, what I will do is just not, not, um, you know, not get involved, not, as we say, not pick up the rope. I mean, it's not argumentative behavior. It's, it's just, um, she can take me into this spiral along with her and, and I don't need to go there. Um, also, as I said, um, you know, learning to, to understand what I want, um, what my needs are, and uh, and then asking for them or stating them. So I remember when I was fairly uh, young in the program, shall we say, although I was never young in the program, if you know what I mean, uh, but, but young in terms of, of program time, uh, I remember somebody sharing in a meeting that she had, she liked to go to movies and nobody else in her family liked to go to movies. And she had to realize or discovered, I think it might be the word she used, that, you know, she could actually go to a movie by herself, that, that she didn't have to wait until other people wanted to go. And I had never even contemplated that idea, that if I wanted to do something, that I could just go do it. I could just say, yeah, I'm going to this movie. You know, for me, I like to go listen to music in, at, you know, uh, in the evening. And I would say, hey, does anybody want to go listen to this band? And it would be like, no, not interested. No, don't want to go. And I'd say, oh, okay. And then stay home. And then I'd be, you know, unhappy. I'd be maybe a little resentful that I couldn't go because, you know, they didn't want to go. So I couldn't go. And so this concept that, no, I could actually just go. I could say, I want to go see this band. Is anybody interested? And everybody would say no. And I'd say, okay, I'm going. I'll see you in a few hours. That was like mind-boggling to me at the beginning, that this was allowed, that this was okay. And, and, the, and the interesting thing is, like, it didn't seem to bother the people who weren't going, that I was going off and doing something and they weren't along. I mean, you know, Again, I was brought up with this idea that that we had to do things together, that, that everybody had to enjoy what was happening together, and that if we did things by ourselves, that was just weird. So, you know, sort of learning new attitudes, learning new ways of being, learning to be aware of myself, learning to understand that I might like something and, and somebody that I'm very close to might not like it, and vice versa. And it's okay for them to go do their thing, and it's okay for me to go do our thing, my thing, as long as we also have our things. I mean, if we, if we're just two people living in the same house doing different things all the time, what's the point? It's been a journey. 
It's uh, it's been quite a journey for me from being uh, brought up extremely with extremely codependent behavior, learning it literally at my mother's knee, thinking that it was my job to to fix everybody around me, and and thinking that that I had to please everybody at the same time. Um, just you know, it really set me up. <laughs> it set me up for a, a codependent relationship with with uh, you know somebody who who quote needed my help unquote. And uh, I found several of those in my life, but uh, hopefully I'm I'm not continuing to find them. Hopefully I'm and and I know that that uh, you know I recognize a lot of my codependent behavior now, and um, that I uh, I have tools. Um, and I have learned a lot of things in this program, and I have, and 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 when I fall down, um, you know, I have tools that let me see it, that let me admit it, that let me laugh at it. Uh, you know, we talk about the laughter in our meetings, and um, I had this experience a couple of weeks ago where somebody was sharing in a meeting about some stuff that really was, um, if you took it, you know, you take it. I mean, we did take it at face value. It was very. Um, you know, very self-deprecating, and and we were all laughing because we all could see ourselves there. We could all see ourselves doing that, and we all understood that this was behavior that came, you know, from from our shortcomings, from our character defects, and and I don't know. You know, I have to laugh at my pain because maybe if I don't laugh at my pain, I'll cry. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I can, I can put it out there. I can say, wow, I did this crazy thing and, and I can laugh about it and it helps me to let go of it. And at the same time, hopefully me sharing something like that will, will help somebody else to say, oh, I do that. And to start their own path to awareness and recognition and recovery, just as I've, I continue um, to say, oh, I do that and find new awarenesses and, and new paths to recovery when I hear you share. So I think I'm going to end now and uh, I'm going to take a break. And I have this song and I have to thank uh, my friend Mark for uh, um, sharing this song with me. Sorry, got distracted by the chat room again. Uh, Mark says pause button equals cheating. It's true. Um, and, uh, I don't know, all these, all of a sudden all these chat messages came in that I didn't see before. So let's see what we got here. Yeah. Mostly people chatting with each other. Um, Maria says, I work with a whole bunch of codependent people trying to decide where to go to lunch is painful. Where do you want to go? Oh, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Oh my God. I so relate to that. Um, uh, Mark sent a link to the video for the four A's. I'll stick that in the show notes. So anyway, um, I want to thank Mark for uh, for introducing me to this song and to this singer. Um, the song is Drinking Problem by Laurie McKenna. And this really is a song sung by a codependent, although at the beginning, the, for the first half of the song, it's that is not at all obvious. Uh, it does have a twist uh, near the end of the song that uh, makes it very clear, and I'm going to spoil it for you. Here's some of the lyrics. The man down at the meeting says we need to work this out. We need to talk about our problems if we got them. I think I've got a drinking problem. Oh, baby, you can't claim this for your own. I swear that every bottle you bring home leaves me feeling that much more alone. 
Like a stranger, yeah. You see, it's my problem, too. No, I never touch the stuff, but honey, I'll tell you what. You can't count all the ways it touches me. Well, I've been thinking While you've been drinking Yeah, I know Thinking is the last thing on your mind But I've been hoping To get this out in the open And hoping we ain't running out of time The book I've been reading says we need to work this out We need to talk about our problems if we've got them I think I've got a drinking problem I can't hardly get out of bed I can't hardly clear my head Last night's spinning smoky memories Alcohol and sick to of the podcast, uh, we talk about our lives in recovery, or in the case of today, I talk about uh, what it, what my, my life in recovery was like this week. And I want to start, um, I think, with the uh, meeting yesterday. We uh, Our topic was step two, and some really interesting variety of, of shares around the table um, from people who had a really strong concept of a higher power who who loved them and was able to help them. People who had no concept of of God whatsoever considered themselves atheists and found a way to to understanding um, at least the program and the wisdom of the meetings, the wisdom of the program as a higher power that they could use to uh, to guide their life. Uh, and and people who you know had to adjust their God concept that they had learned as a child 
um, that that judgmental punishing God uh, to understanding that there, there might be a God that could that actually loved them and wanted to help them. I remember somebody saying, you know, I'm so small and, and God's so big that, that God really doesn't care about whatever happens to me individually. Um, struggling with the uh, why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people uh, if, there's a, if there's a loving God out there. And, you know, we all have to find our own answers to those questions. Uh, so it was a very, uh, very thought-provoking, very thought-provoking uh, um, meeting. And uh, trying to remember what uh, what Wednesday Wednesday night meeting's topic was about, um, but I was glad to make it to the meeting Wednesday night. I've been missing that meeting, which I consider my home group um, a lot recently, and I'm going to miss it again next week because of a work thing. Um, been trying to use the program at work. It's one of the the main stress points in my life right now, and. Just the other day, I uh, I was sitting at my desk and I heard somebody talking to a group off in another part of the room. We we, we have these large rooms with with uh, large open workspaces at uh, at uh, my workplace, and he was saying something that I reacted to because I felt at- somewhat attacked. I felt like he was misrepresenting something I had said to him. And I had, you know, one of those little uh, Al-Anon slips, little Al-Anon relapse, whatever. Uh, And I jumped up from my desk and I walked over there and I said, you know, that's not what I said. And what I said was this. And um, he was, you know, he was saying, well, well, you know, Spencer told me to do this thing and I didn't really think it was the right thing to do, but I did it because he told me to. And I said, you know, I didn't tell you to. I said, do it if you think it's the right thing to do. Um, You know, I felt very justified. And that's one of those emotions I need to watch out for, justified. Um, Is that an emotion? I don't know. It's a feeling anyway. Because almost, and then I went and sat back down and I realized that, you know, uh, that had not been, that had not been kind. Um, It had not been thoughtful. Um, It wasn't, and it really wasn't the right thing for me to have done. Um, One of our readings, it's in the uh, book Paths to Recovery. I forget which chapter um, has this acronym think, you know, before I open my mouth and say something, I I should ask myself, is it thoughtful? T, honest, H, intelligent, I, necessary, N, and kind, K. And those were, the thing I said was at least not thoughtful, necessary, nor kind. So um, almost immediately I went over to the the other person's desk to try to um, apologize. He wasn't there. I went back a little later. He wasn't there. Uh, so I sent an email. And uh, later in the day, um, another friend has said, hey, I, I want to talk to you about something. And can we you know, go in this room over here and talk about it? And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good, is it? And he said, you know, that thing you did this morning. And he had been a bystander. Uh, he was not involved. Uh, and I said, yeah, I know. I already apologized to someone. So I said, well, you should probably apologize to um, the other two people who were involved. And I was like, you're right, I should. So, you know, I try to work my program there and I try to make things right so that then we can go forward without having, um, you know, that crap holding us back. And, uh, you know, I went to one of the other people I went, I said, you know, I want to apologize for breaking into your uh, discussion this morning. It really was not necessary and it was inappropriate. And he said, ah, we, yeah, whatever. Um, but 
I felt like I had to do that. And whatever his response was, I had to do that. And uh, so, you know, using my program in, in, in various parts of my life, um, and my, uh, my wife is, is sick this week. I mean, it's just a cold. Um, and, you know, it reminds me that, that we have no control over our diseases. Um, and so when I go to, well, I went to bed last night and she's into the coughing part and, and she is not quite asthmatic, but definitely, um, has symptoms that, that are like asthma when, and, and, and particularly when, when she gets, um, what do you call it? Congested. And so she coughs a lot and, and it's a sort of a dry hacking cough and she's got medication for it that's helping, but it's still there. And so we we're trying to go to sleep last night and she's coughing. And there have been times in the past when I got really, really resentful. You know, her coughing is keeping me awake. Okay. Her coughing is keeping her awake. Um, her coughing is, is much harder on her than it is on me. And she has, she does not have control over it. I mean, you know, it's, it's a disease, it's an illness. So I reached in my drawer and I pulled out a pair of earplugs and I stuck them in my ears and then I went to sleep. And, you know, that's the kind of behavior that is just sort of natural to me now, rather than as I, as I have so many times in the past lying there and, and just thinking, I wish she'd stop coughing. Not going to happen. Okay, I can't do anything about it. What I can do something about is, I could, you know, I could get up if it's really bad. I could get up and I could go into the living room and I could sleep on the couch and and you know that's okay too. Um, but you know, taking learning to take an action that actually will do me some good, it seems so straightforward and it was it took me so long to learn that stuff. So um, yeah. Life in recovery. Life in recovery can be good. Let's see. So we've got um, topics upcoming. Um, Tradition 4 and forgiveness are a couple of topics that are coming up in the next few weeks. Might be doing Tradition 4 next weekend. Uh, depends on the people that I've asked to uh, you know, co-host with me when, 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 what times are good for them. Am I being too codependent there? I don't know. I think I'm trying to be realistic. Uh, I'm trying to ask people a few weeks ahead, which means I need to figure out topics a few weeks ahead so people can... I don't know. I mean, I could just say, hey, can you do the podcast with me and we'll do whatever topic we're going to do when you show up. But, um, you know, some people want to know and, and I figure I can I can help help out with that. So um, we're going to be doing forgiveness uh, first weekend in April um, because I asked somebody at the Wednesday night meeting, hey, could would you like to do an episode of the podcast on one of these topics? And she said, yeah, forgiveness sounds great, but I can't do it until that weekend. I'm like, cool. Okay. We're good for that weekend. You know, very straightforward. And, and there we are. So, uh, if you've got, uh, uh, experience or questions or thoughts about, uh, either of these topics, tradition for, or forgiveness, um, send them, you know, leave a voicemail or send an email and, uh, and how do you do that? Oh, well, hey, you can call and you can leave a voicemail at area code 734-707-8795. You can call right now uh, because it is voicemail. Uh, I won't answer the phone. Sorry. Area code 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on our website to join the conversation directly from your computer. Or if you prefer not to use your voice, and I love to hear your voice, by the way. So, you know, do, do call. Um, you can send email 
to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. That's feedback at therecoveryshow.com. And that's all jammed together with no spaces or anything, no hyphens, whatever. We would love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of codependency. You got something to say about how how you've learned to deal with codependency or maybe, um, you know, a fun story about uh, where how you were codependent, something we can laugh about, we can all laugh together about, not laugh at. Okay, please. Um, or our coming topics, uh, just let us know. And and I want to thank people. You keep sending in topic suggestions, and uh, I'm, I'm stacking them up and trying to get to them. You want to know anything more about the show, go to our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. We've got everything about the show there. We've got notes for each episode. We've got links to the music we play, links to some other recovery podcasts and websites that we like, including our friend Recovered Cast. Um, also, if you really like to join the conversation, uh, you can be a guest host. Uh, I can talk to you on uh, phone or Skype or Google Hangout or um, as uh, one of our correspondents this week suggested, uh, FaceTime, if you've got a, one of those Apple things, which I do. Um, that would be cool. We've been doing these mostly by pre-recording and then um, sort of editing in to make a kind of a conversation. Um, if you're available at the time when we plan to record, we could also do it live, although that's a little trickier. I don't, you know, this, I do a lot of teleconference things at work and not talking over the person on the other end gets tricky uh, because there are these delays. Um, and I found this even in my Skype conversations with Ruth. Um, you know, there's, there's a delay between when I start to talk and she hears me or when she starts to talk and I hear her and, and it's really easy to step on each other. Um, we, uh, we, we wait, uh, you know, just long enough. And then we start talking and the other person does the same thing and boom, we're right on top of each other. Um, so it's tricky, but you know, it's, I love to get new voices in. I love to get new experience, um, and new ways of thinking about recovery that are different from the way that I've learned it, because I learned recovery in this community in Ann Arbor. And, and I know, you know, I've been to some meetings in other communities and I know that, that it's a little bit different. Um, in other parts of the U.S., uh, I've talked to friends who have moved, uh, and and I know that it's even more different when you get outside the U.S. It's the same, but it's not. And so, getting that diversity of voice in here is is a really good thing. So, if you wanna if you wanna share your voice, just email me feedback at therecoveryshow dot com, and we will set it up. So we do have some of your contributions, some of your feedback this week. But I'm gonna take a little break here with uh, some more music. This is, the song is called Drowning's Better, parenthesis, with your friends. It's by Misty Lynn and the Big Beautiful. And Misty Lynn is a local Ann Arbor musician, and um, her songs are, are often a little dark or twisted, but um, very, very lyrical, and some of them are really beautiful. I mean, they're, they're, a lot of them are really beautiful. Um, this one is a little on the dark side. It's... Uh, um, talks about what um, to me sort of is, stands out as a um, ultimate in codependency, which is a, at least if you take the words of the song literally as a suicide pact. Uh, so what this song seems to be about. The, uh, the chorus to the song reads, I think I figured it out. Can we try again? This time you hold your breath and I'll cling for dear life to your hands and we'll jump again. Drowning's better with your friends. And aren't we great friends? Sharing in certain death With 
See what's in the uh, in the mailbag here today. We have a, an email from Mary. It says thank you for this wonderful program, venue, and sacred space for a fellow Al-Anon member. I am listening to your podcast on hope and feel the recovery coming through, which is a gift. This is a great tool for someone new, very informative and respectful, while touching on topics that are so important. With grace and a bit of laughter, the best medicine. Thank you for being here, Mary, and. Uh, I'll pass that uh, thanks on to Maria and May, who uh, participated in that Hope episode as well. I love this sacred space. Wow. Uh, email from Susan. She says, Dear Spencer and Maria, I just wanted to thank you for your ho- show on Hope. I especially enjoyed and could relate to May's story. I am a longtime devoted listener and am truly grateful to have found your podcast. I have of late been struggling with hope and faith. And as with many things since, I have gained an Al-Anon awareness through recovery. I am given what I need if I just ask for the help of my higher power, and I'm open to receiving it. Spencer, I could really relate to what you said, that we wait for our loved one to get into treatment, and then they get there, and we are scared it's not going to work, and somehow that can be worse than when they are active in their disease. Maria, your discussion about not having time for hope really spoke to me when I needed to hear it. 
Thank you for your openness and honesty. I would also like to say that though I enjoyed the show when Swetha and Kelly were on, I really appreciate the new format that you have taken with a variety of hosts. Keep up the good work. I look forward to the new episode every week. Susan in Canada. And and thank you, Susan. And I, I forwarded that uh, to uh, to Maria because uh, she was really helpful and instrumental in uh, in, in getting the, that uh, episode out. And uh, here's Sarah. Sarah wrote, Dear Spencer, I'm here in Vienna, Austria, an expat who's been living in Germany for five months, about to go home to the U.S. on Friday, and I just listened to your episode, Changes. This episode excited me so much. Would you like some feedback? This is me. Yes. Always, always want feedback. Um, you know, how am I doing? Uh, tell me, tell me what you like. Tell me what I need to do better because that's the only way I'm going to get better, right? Back to, back to Sarah. I feel weird the way email and text just drops feedback in our laps. <laughs> you said that it is not going to be the same and I beg to differ. You're a person who we have come to know who is very insightful and intuitive and who has a strong program. So there is no doubt in my mind that you will have deep relationships with the next hosts and guests and formats that you decide to bring into the program. The podcast has always been a flexible living thing with callers, different people at the table, questions, etc. I dare to suggest that the grief you feel might not actually change the show, might not be about the show, because while I have loved your former host's presence and what they had to give, flexibility was always a part of the work here, from my perspective as a listener. I know how we like to attach our feelings to outcomes, to something we have to fix, but I honestly think that the show is alive and unaffected, as hard as this is to believe. Just be seeing how wonderful it was to hear from you and your vulnerability and pain in the moment, a powerful thing to have shared with us. Honesty, authenticity, and insight. It's hard for me to read this, you know. It really is. <laughs> uh, and Sarah continues, I listened to another podcast that has long shares, but while I have been away from home, from my home group, my sangha, my support system, all day long I listen to recovery podcasts, and recently yours, as it's a group with varying levels of recovery, a discussion. Your podcast was with me when I visited the top of the highest mountain in Germany in the wind and the snow. I think my commitment to the program has become so solid and strong through this test of having most everything I know taken away, and that has been with your help. And uh, and she had some more that uh, um, I'm not going to read directly. She offered to join the podcast by, by Skype or by FaceTime, and in particular to share her experience of staying connected to the program while on the road. She says, email, talking to my sponsor, the challenges of distance, detachment with friends as I'm not physically present in their lives, grief, literature, different meetings all over the world, not having a home group, etc. And, you know, that's a, it's interesting because uh, yesterday in the meeting, um, uh, somebody was sharing about going to a meeting out of town and, and recommending that, you know, we should all try that. And I have done that too. And it's really interesting, you know, walking into a meeting someplace you've never been and, and feeling, feeling that, you know, sort of Al-Anon at home feeling, uh, that that this is the this is the same place even though it's a different place, and some of the places that I go I'm starting to you know I go to a meeting um, when I visit my parents and and I'm there once or twice a year, and there's this particular Friday noon meeting that I try to go to when I'm there and and people are starting to recognize me I mean I'm certainly recognizing people there and they're like oh welcome back you know and uh, and that's kind of neat too, but anyway I was thinking that it would be really good to do. Um, do a show on an episode on how we do recovery when we're traveling, how we do recovery when we're not at home. And I know Kelly used to talk about that uh, 
quite a bit when she was on the show because she does travel a lot for her work. I'm going to try to f- pull together some people who, who travel some, who travel a lot, who travel a little, and and just talk about how do you do recovery when you're traveling. Because, uh, you know, a lot of us do that. A lot of us are away at some point. And usually when we're we're away, when we're off balance, when we're, we're you know, we, we need a little bit of recovery sometimes. Mark at the Recovered Cast uh, sent me a voicemail that uh, he received. This is from one of his frequent listeners uh, who uh, styles herself Liz Lemon. Hey, Mark and gang. This is Liz Lemon calling from Mandeville, Louisiana. I just had to share a little story today that happened at work that was one of those moments in my uh, sobriety that has just been so special. Um, and I think I knew part of it, that part of me knew that this was going to happen at some point, but I had a customer come in today looking for directions and long story short, she had looked at me and she, I, I cut all my hair off and she, maybe she didn't recognize it, but she looked at me and she finally said, do you remember talking to me about two years ago? Anyway, she was in this, I don't even know how we got started on the subject, but she was looking for plants for one minute and then 20 minutes later, I admitted that I was an alcoholic and, Anyway, I sat at my checkout counter and literally put some of your podcasts I thought because I thought they would help on her phone because she was dealing with an alcoholic in a, in a relationship that she had. And she came in today and shared with me that she thought of me all the time and how she listens to the recovery show now in addition to um, the recovered podcast and how, I mean, she just burst into tears and how thankful she was to have run into me because her life is so much better now that she's really involved herself with these programs. So um, it's funny because you never know who you're going to meet and what you're going to say to make somebody's life different. And I just encourage anybody, keep it it open ears and you just know when to share at the right time. I know this is not a moment of clarity, but it was just something that's really touching, that was really touching that happened to me today. Anyway, thanks a bunch, and I enjoy listening to the shows. Bye. And thank you, Liz, uh, for giving me permission to share this on the recovery show. I guess that one of the messages there is, is uh, you know, one of the ways that uh, you can support us, totally non-financial way, is to pass on the word, uh, pass on the message to people you meet, uh, your friends, or as in the case of Liz, uh, Somebody she didn't even know, but who reached out for help. And it's amazing how that that happens sometimes. Let's see. News. Um, So talked about uh, recording the next couple of shows. I'm I'm trying to settle down to uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 p.m., as we say here in the U.S. And uh, on uh, Sunday afternoons, uh, that's now Eastern Daylight Time which is uh, four hours off of GMT. So if it's two here, that's 14. You add four, that's 16 GMT, and then go from there to wherever you you are. Usually try to broadcast live. Um, sometimes uh, don't manage to, uh, to get it all together to do that. And today I was really kind of like, um, you know, I don't have co-hosts, and you know, it was a little bit of extra work setting it up to go live, and I'm really glad I did because now I've got uh, – Ruth and Maria and Milana and had Mark for a while in the in the chat room and they're chatting and and I get to interact and that is awesome. I'm not just sitting here in my room uh, talking to the wall. 
I'm actually talking to the birds outside the window. That's who I'm talking to. Uh, they're enjoying, I refilled the bird feeders yesterday and they're really enjoying it. Although the starlings have found it. So I might have to just lay off the bird food for a while till they forget that it's here. Cause when they descend on moss, like it just goes through it almost instantly. Okay. I don't have really uh, any other news here at the moment. I know that recovered at recoveredcast.com. Mark is uh, winding up, uh, preparing for his 12-hour podcast in June, where uh, he will have uh, a series of guests in to, uh, to talk for an hour uh, from, I think, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. is what he did last year with uh, funds that are collected during the podcast going to a local treatment center. Um, and it's, a, it's an awesome thing, and it uh, also you know, helps out people who, who need help. But last year he raised enough money to... Uh, um, I forget the exact number, but he raised enough money to to give several people, a number of people, time in the uh, in the detox center, and that's uh, you know people who don't have the money uh, can can get help um, because of the money that he raised during that twelve hour podcast. So look forward to that again this year. I will probably be participating at some point during it. We'll let you know more when the details are are there. And uh, you know it doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses. They are running about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website. Uh, you can support us directly through the donation button, just like Becky and Jessica did today. And thank you very much, Becky and Jessica, for your uh, continued support of the recovery show. We also have uh, links to Amazon. You can buy recovery literature or other whatever you want on Amazon uh, by clicking through those links to Amazon. And uh, we get a commission. It doesn't cost you anything more. Uh, and that helps us out. It really does. But what, whatever, thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening. We are here for you. And, you know, you're here for us. Uh, it, it is really um, inspiring to know, to hear from you, to understand that that what we do here um, is carrying the message of recovery, you know, out to uh, to people all over the world. That's just it. It blows me away when I think about it. And and a little bit. Uh, sorry, you're going to circle back here, Milena, in the chat room. She uh, talking about faith and hope. Ruth asked. I'm still trying to find what is the difference between faith and hope. And Milena says, for me, there is not that much difference between hope and faith when I have them in me. It means that I'm in good contact with myself and my higher power. But the distinction with Spencer Maria made between being full of hope and optimistic was one of those whoa moments for me, which happens a lot when I listen to Spencer or Mark. Thank you, Milena. And uh, yeah, I mean, faith, I, to me, um, faith leads to hope. Um, and I'll have to try to put that in words. I, I can't do that off the cuff right now, but uh, I, I feel a difference. I can't explain the difference. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of there with you too, Ruth. I want to close the show with uh, a song. I think we've used it before, but it's it seems so appropriate for codependency. This is by Coldplay. It's called Fix You. And that's because a common symptom of codependency, as uh, as Wikipedia said there, you know, need to control, um, is a need to try to fix my loved ones. Because my codependency tells me I can't be well unless they are well. I can't be happy if they are not happy. So my solution is, when you're broken, I need to fix you. When you try your best but you don't succeed 
When you get what you want, but not what you need. When you feel so tired, but you can't sleep. Stuck in rivers. And the tears come streaming down your face. When you lose something you can't replace When you love someone but it goes to waste Could it be worse? Lights Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so that we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.